Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode, backed by our crowdfunders, AS and Emily Staracina. Rafa Nadal fights past Djokovic for Rome glory. Sviontek double bagels Plushkova. And Andy Murray decides to skip the French Open. Kim, what a week it has been in Rome. The Italian Open has come to a close. It was finals day today. We had the men's final. We had the ladies finals. We've had some doubles finals as well. I mean, just looking at the singles, I feel like the finals have been quite contrasting, um, which we'll kind of get on to. But I think if we look at the the week overall, let's put the rain to one, to one side. We've had some match of the year candidates, had lots of talking points. I genuinely think this has been one of the most memorable Italian opens uh, of you know, recent years, but in the context of kind of post COVID and the restart uh, on the tour, I think this has been one of the, the best weeks so far. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's been a, a real great week on the tour and uh, a real great result for me today as well as a Rafa <laughs> fan, I must say. Uh, I have to get that in there. I was very pleased that he came through that tussle with Djokovic today. And uh, yeah, definitely a more entertaining final than the women's one, which was a bit of a non-entity. I think that's safe to say, but we'll get on to that in due course. <laughs> I was watching some of the highlights on YouTube. I was impressed they managed to stretch it out over eight minutes, the, the official highlights, because yeah, it just happened like like a flash in the pan. I mean, I don't think anyone was expecting that to happen. Yeah, blink and you'll miss it. I mean, we'll get on to the, the stats later, but they, there's not very often you get a double bagel in a final, um, especially, <laughs> a, you know, Masters 1000 level. So, yeah, shocking scenes. But, um, yeah, both Roland Garros champions from last year, both defending champions, have won the, the Rome title. So definitely interesting results going into the French Open in a couple of weeks' time. And and also a lot of concerns, I think, for other top players, um, you know, likes of Serena Williams, etc., which we'll also be discussing today. But perhaps let's begin, Joel, with the men's final, which recently finished a couple of hours ago now. Uh, Rafa came through that in three sets, 7-5-1-6-6-3 against Djokovic, um, winning his 10th title at this event. So Rafa's now got uh, 10 or more titles at four different events, which is obviously remarkable and um yeah i mean they've actually played each other quite a lot of times at the italian open they seem to to love meeting each other here as they do at many other events and i think this was the ninth time they were playing each other at this particular event and uh yeah rafa actually interestingly hasn't been beaten by djokovic on clay in about um five years now so i didn't quite realize it had been been that long so um, I'm sure Djokovic will be hoping to change that very, very soon. Yeah, it's been a rivalry. Obviously, you know, it's been, I think, the most prolific rivalry when you kind of look at the, 
you know, the big three. It was their 57th meeting. Uh, it's now 28-29 in favour of, of Djokovic. But, you know, the story of that rivalry really recently has been, you know, can, you know, one of them dethrone the other on their favoured surface? You know, can Nadal do that to Djokovic on a hard court? Can Djokovic do that to Nadal on a clay court? And the answer uh, over the last few years has been an emphatic no. I mean, I think we all kind of remember, you know, particularly at Grand Slams, you know, Djokovic at the Australian Open in 2019, very one-sided final winning against Nadal. Roland Garros, Roland Garros last year, very one-sided final with Nadal coming out on top. And, you know, this, I think this final, it was, you know, it was very entertaining. I think, you know, both players obviously played some great tennis. I think, you know, you can see in that second set, Nadal does not lose a lot of sets 6-1. So, you know, his his level obviously dropped after that opening set. But um, it was a really, I think, fun match to watch. It was great to have fans in there. Um, but yeah, I think for me, that first set particularly was so enthralling and it was it was proper for me it was like proper big three stuff you know it was like 60 minute plus set it ended seven five it was just it was just a bit of a throwback for me and it was just such a you know it was was such a a great way I think to to open the match yeah it it really was and it, it every time they kind of come up against each other you do you sort of think oh we are so lucky aren't we to have these amazing <laughs> players at the you know still at their peak really at, you know and having been so dominant and the best the absolute best of their generation and arguably every generation and it's just such a treat to to actually watch them and to bring out the best in each other as well and you know Novak kind of got that early break Rafa broke back and I think we do see that quite a lot um from the word go in their matches it is very very close and often you get a couple of breaks early on and and obviously Rafa edged that set right at the end and and the, the second set you know Rafa had early chances um to break but but didn't and then obviously Djokovic kind of upped the ante and went away with that second set and kind of going into the third set I was a bit like oh I really don't know what to expect now but um <laughs> I think the pivotal the pivotal moment really came at two all and you know Novak had opportunity to break Rafa held on and then broke to love um in the next game and and it was very very quick after that I think um going on to the end of the match and Rafa really upped his level you know as it got in you know deep into that third set um when when push came to shove and yeah um obviously that was a very pleasing outcome for me but what did what did you make of um you know what 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 did you think as the match went on that Novak needed to have done to have changed the outcome for today Joel just very quickly it was really impressive I think from Nadal to stem that sort of momentum shift that was so dramatic in that second set as you said kind of Djokovic was running away with it and I was actually sort of expecting him to just go on and and win the third set but got to remember this is Nadal you know he loves playing he loves playing in Rome so does so does Djokovic but you know Nadal was able to kind of change it up but I think you know what was interesting I think from the the baseline particularly I mean you've got to look at Djokovic's forehand and it was quite interesting to see him sort of change up between kind of set one and set two because I think in set one his forehand direction um you know I think they were speaking about it on the TV it was very sort of even between kind of cross court and and down the line you know playing into Rafa's forehand and backhand but really in that second set and you know what led to kind of that 6-1 scoreline was Djokovic really kind of focusing his forehand cross court 
into the Nadal backhand and it really kind of locked him up I think in terms of uh you know hampering his uh, you know ability to kind of um be aggressive on the points and and win the points outright and um you know obviously Nadal was able to kind of react to that in in the third set and make sure that he was able to kind of get back to winning ways but it was interesting to see how the dynamic was sort of shifting between sets and although I think Djokovic maybe went in with a a strategy in the first set and it wasn't working he was just able to kind of adapt to it and and really focus on that you know that backhand of Nadal which you know I think over the last kind of you know few weeks few tournaments we've seen it's not necessarily been kind of firing all on all cylinders I th- I think arguably as well much like his his forehand but um you know he was able to kind of bring them both back into his game in in the third set and I think that's sort of what got him over the line yeah, so much of it is about reacting and adapting as the match goes on, isn't it? And you can be caught unawares, can't you, by a sudden change in strategy. But that's where the greats, you know, they they can adapt quickly during the course of the match and and um, you know counteract that. So uh, we saw we saw Rafa obviously doing that, and um, yeah, I think it's interesting because obviously Djokovic trying that tactic, yeah, going more down the line. But yeah, can you do that for the whole match and get? you know, can that pay dividends? It might work for a set, but it's no guarantee that it's going to work every time, you know, because you've got someone down the other end who is obviously <laughs> one the goat on that surface. So <laughs> I know. And, you know, looking at the, I mean, just generally looking at the stats, I mean, forehand winners, uh, you know, Nadal had 26, Djokovic only 11. Feel like, you know, if I'm a, you know, a Novak Djokovic fan, I would have felt like, you know, if I was going to win this match against Nadal, I felt like I maybe I, I needed to do more on my forehand, um, you know, maybe get a bit more purchase from what I'm putting in. Um, you know, I don't know if, you know, that might be something he needs to work on, uh, you know, for the French Open, if he's got, you know, serious ambitions of dethroning the King of Clay at Roland Garros. But I definitely think there's potentially work there to be done um, on his ground strokes, particularly with that forehand and whether he can make sure that he can use it and, and win, you know, and, and, give more winners off of it because I think we've only kind of 11 winners to 26 from from Nadal I think that's definitely an area uh as an opportunity I think for uh Djokovic to 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 improve on yeah and I don't know if this really came into it at all but uh you know Novak had had to play an awful lot of tennis on the Saturday Mm. uh he had to play five sets of tennis essentially because he had his quarterfinal of Sitsipas to finish off uh, as that was delayed due to the rain and then he had a a three set three setter with Lorenzo Sonigo in the semi-final so had an awful lot of uh, time on court the day before so I don't know if that came into it as the match wore on today either um I mean both both Rafa and Novak may very well not have been in the final because obviously Rafa had that uh, dramatic match of Denis Shapovalov uh, in the third round earlier in the week, who was match points down, could very easily have lost that. I mean, really yep. probably should have lost it, uh, considering the, the the kind of a, amount of chances that Shapovalov had and, and, and the score lines that he had and the leads in, in the sets. But um, obviously Rafa will be delighted and you can see... To, that he was <laughs> very happy to, to come away with this title after, you know, especially after that match earlier in the week. Yeah, definitely. And Kim, can we just talk about, let's talk about that match, but also let's talk about something that I felt like was a, a th- common thread with, with Nadal throughout this week. And it was falling over on the, what seemingly the dangerous sort of lines that we have at the, the Italian Open, which are, from from what I understand, they are nailed in to the court. We saw the the classic sort of hammer 
uh, be brought out various times throughout the week. Completely different, I think, from Roland Garros, which don't have any nails kind of uh, putting the lines in the court. But it just feels like this court is a little bit dangerous. We saw Nadal... Uh, you know, today, you know, I think the, the image of Nadal from today was him with just clay all over his back. And, you know, that was from him, you know, falling over from, you know, sliding and, you know, coming into contact with those lines. So, uh, you know, I I feel like there's maybe if, you know, if I was the kind of the tournament organiser, I think I sh- would be looking into that, you know, sh- should even, you know, should lines even now nowadays be sort of nailed in on a court even on a, on a clay court because it does feel like it's a, a dangerous situation and you know I don't think Rafa was particularly happy about it and you know we're talking about kind of player safety here I mean we don't we don't want any of these players getting injured uh because of the the court surface and we all know kind of clay is a very sort of it's it's a you know a different beast kind of from other surfaces but I think particularly with the way the um the the main court the show court in in the uh, the Italian Open is set up. I feel like they can. There's potentially some work to be done there. Yeah, I mean, you want to be confident when you're on court and mm. have that freedom of movement. And if you you know in the back of your head that there's something dodgy with the lines, and you've had already an incident like the day before where you've had a nasty fall and potentially could have you know caused yourself a nasty injury, then. That is just not on. And yeah, Rafa, I think, had a fall against Apelka and then another one today. He was not happy. Um, and they obviously had to go and, and look at that line straight away and yeah, sort of nail it back in, I suppose. Um, <laughs> which is just, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not good. Not a good look for the tournament. It looks a bit shambolic as well. I mean, you know, we, we, we've got Hawkeye, you know, we've got all these fancy graphics and technology, et cetera, but. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, we're having a man and his hammer come out onto the court. Which, uh, yeah, I just wonder if there's, yeah, can they can they improve that? Surely, surely they can. Yeah, um, and you know, it was a bit scary for Rafa because obviously mm. uh, French Open just around the corner. The last thing you want is some freak injury from you know falling over dodgily on a, on a line. Um, so yeah, fortunately, uh, hopefully, you know, there wasn't anything any damage from those falls, and didn't seem like there was, but. Um, yeah, I mean that that going back as well to that Shapovalov match, you know, Shapovalov played fantastically well. I have to say, it's been a long time since I've actually seen him play that well, especially on a clay court. I feel like on clay, we don't we're not used to seeing him play at that level. And you know, he was four love up in that first set against Rafa. He was, I think, he was three love up in the second set. He was a break up in the third set. He had you know, too much points, but Rafa ended up coming through in a last set tie break, much to my uh, delight, obviously. But uh, yeah, really clutch tennis when it mattered for Rafa to come through that one. It was great for my lunch break. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was, very uh, entertaining. Yeah. yeah, it was like, yeah, I mean, Shapovalov. Yeah, he's such a, he's such a great talent. But you know, I was, I was talking to my friends and I, I always just feel I've got this nagging doubt about Shapovalov that when he comes up against kind of the very best, he he can always sort of consistently put on a really kind of good display. I don't, you don't necessarily see him lose kind of in straight sets in a sort of regular kind of scoreline. I feel like he always gives a good account of himself. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shove in that final set or whenever it is, he's still lacking that little little bit extra that's going to get him over the, the finish line. I feel like he's he's quite close and you know that that's definitely something he can improve on but we we know his his ability and you know for me that was i know you know some people will say djokovic and, and sissipas was 
you know, potentially match of the tournament. But really for me, Nadal Shapovalov was the, the match of the tournament. And, um, you know, it was, yeah, I think it was kind of frustrating for him because, you know, he's been on the scene for a few years now. You would have felt that he would have had, you know, a lot of experience and time to kind of build up those sorts of moments and, uh, you know, to call upon in these kind of situations, but he just wasn't able to, to kind of get through it. And, um, you know, obviously they met in, in 2017 when he did beat, uh, you know, Nadal at the, the Rogers Cup. So it was a bit of a, you know, bit of payback for Nadal, but it was, yeah, as you said, it was very, very, you know, very, it could have been very, very different, couldn't it, Kim? Because if, if Shapovalov had, had come through that, I mean, there would have been serious question marks in terms of, Nadal and Roland Garros in the French Open and you know where does that leave him yeah I mean because obviously he lost to Zverev in in Madrid and um Rublev in in Monte Carlo so you know to you to lose against another young gun would not have been a good a good uh look I suppose but I think um yeah obviously Shapovalov had beaten him before but yeah this would have obviously been his his biggest win of probably of his whole career and uh, I mean another player like you said who would probably be a bit gutted is is Stefanos Tsitsipas because you know he came into the uh the the regimation of the uh quarterfinal on that Saturday morning a setup against Novak and was oh so close but yeah lost out 7-5 in the in the third set and um he was a break up in um in that final set uh I think twice and yeah wasn't able to to kind of capitalize so I, I think you know Sitspas will be a bit gutted because obviously he's been in really good form this clay this clay season obviously having won Monte Carlo and got getting to the final in Barcelona so um I think he would have been a bit bit gutted for that one. Oh definitely I mean he I think has cemented himself as like the firm number three favorite I feel uh going into Roland Garros he is very he's knocking on the door isn't he um you know he, he arguably should have beaten both Djokovic and Nadal um, you know, over the last kind of few weeks, you know, it is, it has taken serious, serious resolve from some of the greatest of all time to really kind of get through Stefanos Sissipas this season on, on a clay court. So yeah, I think he will be disappointed. Um, I don't think he's resting on his laurels though, because he, he's taken a wild card, uh, and he's playing again next week, I think in, in Leon. So, you know, he's, he's really kind of making the most of his, kind of good form at the moment but um I mean just looking at the the semi-finals as well because you know we had Djokovic and obviously Nadal there we also had two very surprising semi-finalists as well because we had Riley Opelka and Lorenzo Sonigo uh you know we mentioned Opelka Nadal um you know Nadal came through that kind of 6-4-6-4 um that was that was a bit surprising because you know Americans on a clay court I mean American tennis is not great at the moment. I don't think they've got anyone in the top 30. So I imagine if you're an American tennis fan, it was a bit of a bit of a surprise to see Riley Opelka's name uh, in the, in the semi-finals. Well, he said it was a fluke himself. And I think, to be honest <laughs> with you, it was because he'd lost, I think, six matches like consecutively going into the tournament. And, you know, he is not really at home on clay. You know, he said that in his, in his interviews and it's, you know, really a kind kind of came out of nowhere. Like he had some some decent wins, you know, against um like Musetti, um and also Karatsev. But 
yeah, obviously against Rafa, he didn't really, you know, have an answer as good as, you know, he's able to serve. And, uh, you know, he's obviously one of those extremely tall, uh, big serving Americans. <laughs> he, um, he does move very well for a tall, hmm. a tall person. Hmm. Um, I was kind of, re- I was kind of reading. He, he does say that what, what, what's kind of what he has worked on a lot, um, over the last few months is his movement and, think you can you can see that um and that is helping him i think on a clay court you know he spoke about the fact that he wants to you know have more urgency uh and have that reflected in his footwork and in his movement and i think you you can see that and he's not just about you know having a big serve but is he's adding you know he's adding to that as well with his movement and he's i think he is quite a you know he's quite a you know formidable sort of opponent when you know quite from across the net <laughs> given how kind of tall he is but um yeah I don't think it was a fluke though I mean getting to the semi-final I mean that's not a fluke is it I mean he's just bl- he's just sort of blushing isn't he well I mean is it a fluke or is it not because is he going to get to another semi-final well, sort of yeah. masters perhaps <laughs> not um I mean another player though you know it, that was in the semis Lorenzo Sonigo as you said um well, I was wondering if Lightning would strike twice and he was going to beat yeah. Novak Djokovic again because um, he did beat him in Vienna last year. Well, kind of kind of thrashed him, really, in straight sets, uh, which was obviously a, a bit of an anomaly, I have to say, uh, in terms of you know Djokovic's results at the end of last year. But um, he was the first, yeah, Sonigo, first Italian to reach semi-final in, in Rome since uh, Filippo Volandri, who's a bit of a name <laughs> from the past. Uh, so obviously doing really, really fantastically well at his home event. He had a really good win over Rublev in the quarterfinals. Um, and then obviously he took that, took that second set against Djokovic in, in the semi, um, to take it to three. So yeah, really, really good performance from him, you know, especially in, in front of, well, some, some home fans, because they've obviously had a few fans this week, uh, not a full capacity crowd, but at least there have been some, some there attending. Kim, regardless of how well he was playing this week, and I do think he is one of those players who loves, you know, he loves having that crowd there. He feeds off, he loves feeding off that energy. And yeah, he he did play really, really well this week. But having said that, I'm taking all points away from him because of his terrible dance moves um, (laughs) at the end of, at the end of his matches. He was coming out with this, his like, it was like a, he was coming out with his his little dance and the music was, the, the DJ was playing some music, but it was, Oh, for me, it was just so, so cringe. So even though he's playing some really good tennis at the moment, I think he needs to find some time to work on his dance moves. He's not going to be going on uh, Strictly Come Dancing <laughs> in, it- in Italy anytime soon in the off-season then. So. Oh. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, so it's been, it's been a very interesting tournament, Joel, hasn't it, on, on the men's side? And um, I mean, we're also interesting, uh, in, and another player, you know, who always makes things somewhat interesting, Benoit Pair. Um, of course, who got into yet another argument with the chair umpire during his uh, his match to Stefano Travaglia. Another one for the scrapbook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's racking them up, especially this season. And obviously not in the Olympics because of all his antics. Uh, the French Tennis Federation have, you know, chucked him out. So, um, but yeah, this time he disagreed with a line call. Um, and so he got his, his mobile phone out and, and went and took a photo of, of the mark, oh, yeah, <laughs> which I, I think you're not allowed to do. You're not really supposed to get your phone out and start using it in the middle of a match. Um, but he disagreed with the umpire, disagreed with... Um, Discreet with Hawkeye. TV images, yeah, yeah, exactly. He was not taking it. I mean, you can always rely on Benoit Pair, I know, for some, uh, for some light entertainment. I mean, his form has just been, he's in rank form at the moment, isn't he? Um, you know, he's going to be, 
he will obviously be in the, in the French Open. Uh, when, uh, for how long, who knows? But um, yeah, it was just another one to add to the scrapbook. But uh, it did cause quite heated debate in the uh, the Amazon Prime studio, I noticed, between uh, Mark Petchy and all the, the team there in terms of like, is this okay? Can he just do what he wants? Uh, you know, he's in the main draw. He's entitled to do what he wants was sort of kind of Petchy's kind of argument. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of agree, but it's just getting a bit silly now. Um, he needs to get his head right and just focus back on his tennis because, yeah, it's just it's just a bit of a shame, really. Well, I don't know what to add to that, Joel. <laughs> but um, let's move on to the the women's event because obviously a very different story today, I have to say. Um, it was blink and you miss it, really, for the final because Iga Svontek was absolutely, um, you know, obliterated uh, Karolina Pliskova. Six love, six love uh, in 46 minutes. Oof. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, Svontek only lost 13 points in total um so i mean we know shviontek on her day can you know dominate a match and make it very very difficult for opponents you know she did that for the whole of roland garros last year when she played you know stunning tennis all you know for the whole fortnight but this was i mean this was very 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 one-sided and and carolina pushka really was not at the races i i don't think she was she was quite there Uh, something obviously going on you know yes you can play bad but they're there's you know she really was not was not was not with it no the i mean you can tell in the in the warm-up at the at the net the the energy levels between the two were just completely different you saw shiontek just kind of buzzing around hopping from one you know one foot to the other and plishkova's like facial expressions just said everything it was just like i do not want to be here and um you know that's obviously not the, the mindset you want for the final whereas felt with shiontech just looking at her um just looking at her it was just clear that you know she was like i'm i'm really up for this this title is mine um and you know 48 minutes later or however however long it was it was uh you know it was it was surprising i think you know in terms of I think in terms of double bagels in WTA finals, it's only the uh, sixth time, uh, sorry, fifth time that it has happened. Um, so, sorry, it's only the fourth time, only the fourth time it has happened. So it's a very rare thing. But um, I will have to say, I think fair play to Pliskova for actually some sort of gutting it out. She didn't retire or, you know, withdraw or anything like that. She just kind of got on with it and, you know, at the end, she was kind of just saying, look, I'll forget about it, focus on the positives and and move on, which, you know, I think is the right approach because, you know, her, her form this season has not been great since sort of linking up with Sasha Bajin. Um, but, you know, to get to the final at a place where, you know, she she really likes playing here. I think that was her third straight final. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, on today, just, yeah, it just wasn't her day was not her day at all and I wonder if you know because she was in the final last year and retired in the second set early on against Simona Halep so I just wonder if she thought you know she probably was maybe thinking about withdrawing beforehand for 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 various reasons I don't know but perhaps she just thought oh I I can't I've got to show up you know because I retired last year in the final and you know this you know this is like uh, probably one of her best events you know on paper. Which you correctly called Kim you were your predictions yeah. i was like fair play yeah. that was 
a pretty good prediction, which is surprising given our, our track record. I did I did notice on Twitter, I thought this was a bit harsh, but a lot of people were wondering, was that Karolina Pishkova or was that actually her sister, Christina? Yeah, her sister was playing today. I think she lost. So maybe they did swap places. Um, <laughs> they are identical twins after all. <laughs> Kim talking on Iga Fionte. I mean, just looking at her route to the final think what was most impressive yes I mean the final was a bit of a blowout but I mean her earlier rounds she really had to kind of fight through and particularly in that match against Krachichkova where she was match point down uh similar to her idol actually the, you know Nadal against uh, Shapovalov but um you know I think that showed that you know yes she's a, a great sort of player in terms of her shots uh, you know, on on the court, but I definitely also think she's improved sort of mentally as well, and she is able to kind of gut it out. And you have to say, I think, you know, with this Barty injury that you know has cropped up, um, you know, in Rome, I, I feel like you have to say that Sviontek is she's the firm favourite, isn't she, for defending her, her crown at Roland Garros? Well, yes. I mean, now with Barty possible injury concerns, you'd have to say she is. I mean, she's in form. Um, you know, she had some great wins this week and, you know, also managed to win through when she perhaps she wasn't playing quite so well against Krajicka. Um, and you know, she's, she's up into the top 10 as well. Uh, as of, as of tomorrow, you know, this is her third title. Um, well, you know, second of the year, third since Roland Garros last year and peaking right at the right time, you know, uh, couple of weeks before the tournament and uh coming away with a title and, and performances like that so yeah I think um definitely you cannot say she isn't the top favorite I don't know about Ash Barty she um retired uh she was actually a set up against Coco Golf, but retired uh with a right arm injury uh so she had sort of a sleeve on on her arm that she serves with um and she said after the match that this is kind of a, an injury she's had before that kind of pops up every now and again. So, but it's not very often we see her retire. I think the last time she retired from a match was three years ago. So it's obviously significant enough for her to stop. And, you know, you just don't want to take chances with a grand slam around the corner. So uh, hopefully it's just kind of a precaution and she's going to be completely fit for the main event. Um, Cause another player that also had an injury concern was Simona Halep, um, who had an, a left calf injury, uh, which made her pull out of her match, um, a set down. Uh, no, actually a set up against uh, Kerber. Yeah, so Kerber. in a winning position, but obviously, you know, with the slam around the corner, just like Ash Barty, you just can't take the risk. And, you know, you've got to think what is the more important tournament? Certainly the Grand Slam. I am less confident, actually, about Simona Halep uh, being at Roland Garros. I mean, she put a little bit of a post up on Twitter um, to say that after she had an MRI uh, in Rome, she, she could confirm that she had a small tear um, high up in the on her left calf. She's, she's flying home and she's going to begin you know, recovery work um, uh, tomorrow. Um, she said she's staying positive and will do everything I can uh to speed up my return thanks again and see you soon so that for me the tone of that message suggests to me that maybe we've seen the last of Simona Halep on the clay courts I'm not sure she's going to be able to get ready from that I mean I'm obviously not a medical expert but I feel like maybe we've not seen that you know we've not seen the best of her and I don't feel like we're going to be seeing her at at Roland Garros I have a unfortunately I have a, a sneaking suspicion perhaps it would be best for her chances to defend her Wimbledon title then to just kind of rule out that and recover and focus on the grass because 
you know, obviously she she claimed the Wimbledon title the last time that was played two years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because also going into Roland Garros, we've got the likes of Osaka and Serena, who we saw, uh, you know, back on the clay this week and not doing particularly well. Uh, Osaka lost to Jessie Pagula uh, in straight sets. Uh, which Pagula, obviously, you know, she's had a whole host of, of wins over like top 10 players so far this year. And, and this is kind of the biggest one of them all. Um, and, you know, to be fair, Osaka had three set points in that, in that first set, but, um, Pagula managed to, uh, to come through and then just, yeah, outplayed Osaka at the end of the day. Um, it, you know, Osaka was hitting way too many unforced errors. We don't normally see that from her. She hasn't settled onto the clay. She hasn't, you know, she's not going into Roland Garros with a particularly convincing, uh, you know, performances behind her. So is she up there as a favourite? You can't rule her out, you know, because she is a multiple Grand Slam champion, but it's looking unlikely. I'm actually thinking, Kim, I think like she's she's going to be one of the favourite, I think, in terms of the seeds to go out early uh, is, is my sort of feeling at the moment with regards to Naomi Osaka. You know, it's a bit like... It's a bit like, you know, Daniel Medvedev on the, on the men's side, but I think it's a little bit worse. It's a bit more acute on the, you know, the women's side with Osaka because there are so many kind of hot players at the moment in really good and kind of good form that she can't really start slowly. And, you know, this was just another example of that. And, you know, it was the same for Serena Williams as well, who, you know, we know she's not really been much, uh, you know, on the tour this season. You know, rocking up to, you know, Rome and playing against, uh, you know, Nadia Podoroska, who we know uh, her form, um, on, on a clay court, you know, her run, you know, the French Open, uh, to the semi-finals last, uh, you know, last season. And, you know, she came out as the, as the winner, seven, six, seven, five, biggest win of her career, uh, you know, one hour and 58 minutes was really, really impressive. And, you know, for, C- you know, Serena Williams, Yes, she's a 23-time Grand Slam champion, but, uh, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult, um, you know, to mount a, a serious challenge um, when it comes to, you know, Roland Garros, if she's not going to get, you know, many matches in. I know she's kind of, I think, taken a wild card into to Palmer next week, but, um, yeah, there's just so many good women's players now. She can't just kind of expect to, I think, rock up and, and you know, get some you know, a few matches under about, you know, straight from, you know, straight from, you know, first match on court, first point uh, in the, in you know, first point in the opening round. It's, you know, it's game on. Yeah, the landscape has changed quite a bit from a, a few years mm. ago where she, she could kind of just rock up and, and yeah. generally get very deep into a tournament um, without having much match practice. And I mean, afterwards, she sort of said that, you know, she has been doing a lot of training, um, but she just actually just needs the matches. And, whether she gets that many in Palmer or enough, you know, going into Roland Garros, I think everyone's pretty much probably in agreement that Wimbledon is her better bet, you know, for uh, for getting the slam. And perhaps it would be worth her while skipping the clay and going straight onto the grass. I don't know. I don't, I'm sure she's not going to do that because the slam is a slam and you never know what can happen. But uh, yeah, we'll have to see how she gets on this coming week because, yeah, I mean, it was a close match against Bodoroska, who obviously, you know, has, has form, like you said, on clay, but it's someone you really should be beating, um, if you want to be claiming, <laughs> you know, uh, a record breaking, uh, 24th slam, uh, in a couple of weeks' time. 
But um, I suppose, Joel, another interesting match from from this week, uh, not particularly featuring, you know, top, top names, but it was uh, notable for the length of the match because it was, um, a, well, an absolute sort of, I mean, almost four hours long. It was Mahu Isna-esque in like best of three yeah format um yeah i I watched a bit i watched a bit of this uh on i think it was monday evening um the matching question uh listeners sara cerebes tormo versus camilla georgie it ended uh cerebes tormo winning seven six six seven seven five uh cerebes tormo she was four love down in the final set and came through uh it was the longest match of the year so far um and yeah, it was just, it was just very attritional. It feels like Camilla Georgie's dad as well is assuming the mantle uh, that Sophia Kennan's dad has left um, in the in the in the stadium. Um, but yeah, it was just an absolute, it's just an absolute battle, and it just had so many different plot lines going on all at the same time. It was just an absolutely fascinating encounter to watch. Yeah, it was. If you could sit through all three hours, 51 minutes of it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's interesting, you know, that you said about her dad because uh, the umpire actually sort of called for assistance because she felt quite uh, vulnerable, I think, because of, of, of Georgie's dad, um, who was, you know, kind of abusing the umpire. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, she radioed for help. Um, I think she was quite concerned that, you know, Sergio uh, Georgi, uh, who was sort of, you know, hurling verbal abuse, I think, during during the match, um, you know, I mean, really, he should have been forced to leave the, the, the stadium if he was doing that. But, um, yeah, it, not, not pleasant to see that. Um, absolutely not pleasant. No, it was, it was not good to see. I mean, I don't know if, if these... You know, people feel like they've got more freedom because there's less people in the stadium. But, you know, that that shouldn't be that shouldn't be happening. And, you know, I think a lot of, you know, fans and, you know, you know journalists on, on Twitter are kind of kind of calling out this behavior that it's it's felt like it's been happening kind of more often, uh, you know, post kind of COVID. And it's maybe something that, the you know, the tours, the, you know, the ATP and the WTA need to look at because, you know, it's, it's definitely something that they need to, you know, stamp down on, you know, to protect, you know, protect the, you know, the officials um, that are run, you know, running these events. Um, but, you know, Kim, I mean, just looking at the stats, I mean, Camilla Georgie, double, I mean, we always talk about, we love talking about Georgie and double faults, only 12 double faults in a three hour, 51 minute match. I think, that's I think that's quite good by Georgie's standards yeah considering the length of the match but 86 unforced errors uh we can gloss over that we can gloss over that (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah let's let's just round up Rome um we had in the doubles Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram getting to the doubles final uh they lost out to Mektic and Pavic of course who pretty much (laughs) have won every title this season I have to say um so yeah they they did very well to to obviously get through to the final um had some excellent wins en route as well um but yeah Mektic and Pavic are absolutely you know um 
a wall when it in the final. You are very hard to get past them. Um, and the women's doubles, uh, Fishman and Olmos uh, came through in straight sets against Ayama and Shibahara to to win that one. So um, let's just take a quick break now. But do join us in the second half where we'll be looking at the Tokyo Olympics. Andy Murray's decision to skip Roland Garros and also Roger Federer's return in Geneva, plus all of the other draws that will be going on uh, over the course of the week. So don't go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to the second half and uh, the return of our par for the court game, Joel, which I believe... You've got up your sleeve uh, to, uh, you know, challenge my my knowledge. I think Andy Murray is featuring in, in this week's one. Is that, is that right? So, yes. So, uh, listeners, this is our new game. We brought it out, I think, once, once or twice before. We've put Mysterious Player on ice for this week. And as Kim said, par for the court. So, Kim, I'm going to give you this week. Actually, I'm going to give you a choice because I'm so generous, you know, on, on the show. Um, I'm going to give you two categories and I want you to kind of pick one and we'll kind of take it from there. So my two categories are, do you want a par for the court that is Murray doubles or do you want a par for the court that is Masters matches? Oh, um, are they Murray Masters matches? Well, or just do, you, Masters do you want matches? to take that chance? I don't know. Oh, uh... <laughs> I'm thinking Murray doubles. There might be sort of something about Feliciano Lopez in there. So I'm going to go. Yeah, I'll go for Murray doubles. Murray doubles. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Love it. Okay. Right. So your question is, and the way this works, listeners, is I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to give Kim a challenge and I'm going to set a par score and she's going to try uh, and beat that par score. Um, or reach it uh, without getting a wrong answer. So that's how it works. And Kim, your topic is, you might, you may, may have already guessed this, but I am looking for anyone who's played doubles with Andy Murray over the course of his career. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, do you have a, a total number? <laughs> if you, you have a thing, I'm just literally going to count the number I can see. Uh, so there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven uh 22 uh 23 24 25 26 27 there's 28 names you could potentially give me that are correct answers um and i am going to set the par score i still think this is quite challenging so i'm actually going to be quite generous and go quite low um and i'm going to say i'm going to say eight i'm going to go quite low i'm going to go eight Oh, yeah, I, I think that's probably about right, because I was just <laughs> thinking, I, I don't think I could get could get more than about that. Um, yeah, I'll say that I can match it. I think I think I could get eight. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. So, uh, right. what's... Should I crack yeah, on? Okay. Right. okay, give me what's your first, <laughs> uh, give me your first answer. I'm going to try and go back chronologically. So, um, well, Liam Brody, because they were playing this week. Very good. Correct. Okay. Um, Feliciano Lopez, obviously, because they won the Queen's title together. Correct. Yes, that's two. <laughs> uh, Pierre Hugues Hebert. He, he yes. played with it at Wimbledon. At Wimbledon. Yep. Correct. That's three. Um, 
Novak Djokovic, I'm sure that he's played with him at some point in a Masters event. I think in like Toronto or something they, they played. Correct. Yes. Okay. Novak Djokovic. Uh, Jamie Murray. I'm sure he's played with his brother. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was wondering if that was going to come up. Yes. Uh, Jamie Murray is correct. One. Yeah. So I think that's um, five. Oh, this is where I'm now going to <laughs> become a bit unstuck, I think. I feel like he played with um in that sort of grass court phase when he was just playing the doubles. Marcelo Mello, didn't he play with him um for like Eastbourne or something? Correct, so, yes. Oh, Marcelo yes. Mello. Six. So two can you think of two more? Two more to reach par? In an ATP event, I, I want to say Rafa. I feel like they might have played, but is that no? That's probably just an exhibition. Or do you think he would have played with like Kyrgios or someone? Because um, they obviously get on quite well, don't they? Um, has that happened? I, I'll say Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> Incorrect. No, oh! Nick Kyrgios <laughs> is the wrong answer. Oh, um, no. You did not reach Park him. Oh, what did I get? Six, six instead of six. eight. Yeah, okay, that's not too I bad. Know, it was quite tough. But yeah, quite good, quite good. I, I can give you the list of people you could have said. So you could have said Dan Evans. Oh. You could have said Zimjanic, uh, oh. Frustenberg, Dominic Inglot, Colin Fleming. Oh. I should have Leander said Brit Page, mm. Daniel Nestor, Jean Julien Roger. Oh, uh, yeah, because they're really good friends, aren't they? <laughs> you could have said Kokinakis. Uh, oh, okay. Jonathan Murray, Marcus Bagdatis, Ross Hutchins, uh, Leighton Hewitt, James Auckland, Jamie Delgado, his coach, Danny Valverde, Eric Buterak, Tim Hemman, um, Sebastian Grosjean, Justin Gimmelstob, David Sherwood, Martin Lee, and then, yeah, Liam Brody um so yeah listeners let us know how did you how did you do uh was that a tricky one did you did you did you did you get par did you go above par did you go below par um let us know but uh yeah that was your that was your par for the court for the week no it was very good I definitely should have gone with Brits earlier on and you know people like Ross Hutchins you know that kind of era I should have I should have known better <laughs> when we but, had um, like no. <laughs> no no doubles pairing in Davis Cup and we were just like let's put Andy Murray with someone <laughs> for sure um no that was good um I enjoyed that listeners I hope you managed to perhaps do better than me <laughs> probably screaming at the uh at your headphones um but let's move on to the passing shot mailbag we've got another question from uh Robbie Lung so thank you ever so much for getting in touch with us on Twitter um and this is actually kind of covering a bit what we were talking about a minute ago um which uh the question is do you think Sviontek is the favorite at Roland Garros which would make her the first player since Serena Williams on the WTA tour to defend her Grand Slam title. Um, Robbie thinks she's a slight favourite over Barty because of how slow Roland Garros is um, compared to, say, Madrid, uh, which uh, Barty obviously did quite well at um, previously. But um, yeah, what, what do you think, Joel? I think, you, I think you're, you're probably in agreement, would you say, that Svantec is, is the one to watch? I'm in agreement. Uh, I would also add, uh, you know, as I said before, I think I would add that she's a slight favourite also because I think there's now injury doubts over Barty. I think if there were no injury doubts, I would put them very much sort of level pedding. But I think, you know, the, the form that, that Sviontek is in, and I think the way that she plays on the clay court as well, 
you know, I, I, I feel like Barty as a sort of counterpuncher doesn't really have those sort of, you know, one and one, uh, you know, obliterations, you know, on court in her locker as much as someone like a Sviontek, which could, you know, help her, I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, Grand Slam tennis and, and playing across two weeks and, you know, potentially kind of seven matches. So, you know, I, I definitely think that Sviontek is the favourite. I just think my only doubt there is that, you know, as, as, as you know, as Robbie pointed out, she is the defending champion, and now that's a situation she's never been in before. So, you know, if if she does go deep in the tournament and you know reaches the second week, and it, it might you know play on her mind, it would be a new, totally new situation to her, and you know that pressure might do things to her game. Um, it would be completely fascinating to see, you know, if it does or if it doesn't, um, because you know I I just don't think we know yet, but. Um, that's sort of my that's sort of my you know opinion uh kim what 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 do you think yeah it's a great shout because it does definitely change the dynamic when you're defending a title and, mm. and all eyes are on you and you know the media are talking about you as opposed to coming through relatively unspoken about um i know she works obviously with a sports psychologist so i'm sure they're doing a lot of work still around that but i would also be looking at players like you know Muguruza, um, who didn't have the best of weeks, I have to say, in Rome. She lost quite meekly to Svitolina. But I, you know, you just can't rule her out. She's won it before um, and she has been in great form at the Slams, you know, see Australian Open. And I was also wondering if um, if Yelena Ostapenko was going to have another run because she was, um, you know, I don't know. I just saw quite a bit of her this week and, you know, she came through against Kerber and had a tight one with Pliskova. I don't think she's in the right form, but, you know, someone random like that who obviously she's done it before she's been there and won it uh, kind of out of the blue. Perhaps someone like that will just pop up again. Carolina Mukova, someone like that, you know, if it's not going to be Sviontek. So I think um, it's probably the best chance for someone to defend a Grand Slam in a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, doesn't happen too often. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, I feel like, a lot of injury doubts and, you know, big players not in great form that there's definitely opportunities there for some 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 surprises, but also for Sviontek to just do what she did uh, last year. Kim, just quickly a word on Ostapenko. Uh, if you want, if you want to have a bit of a laugh, look at Ostapenko's facial expressions when Pliskova in their Pliskova match. Uh, Pliskova was winning points uh, with bad let cords that just went over the net, and Pliskova was smiling, and Ostapenko was just she was not happy. Well, I mean, I, I would probably be also quite unhappy if I felt <laughs> the opponent was jammily making their way through the match with, with let calls. But um, anyway, uh, let's go back to other talking points from this week, Joel, because uh, talking about the French Open, one player who definitely won't be winning it and definitely won't be there is Andy Murray, who has chosen not to play uh, the, 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 the Grand Slam. He's going to obviously go straight onto the grass. Um, seems a very realistic decision makes sense um you know he can see play all the like build up events mm. on the grass at home you know in in the uk so we look forward to the grass um and we look forward to seeing andy murray back on the grass there you know he did play doubles um, with liam brody in rome but you know it's obviously it, he doesn't feel it's worth uh playing geneva which i think he was he was due to um and he was very much relying i think on qualifying for Roland Garros or getting a wild card. So um, anyway, that doesn't matter anymore. He's not going to be there. And we look forward to seeing him back on the grass. It's a bit of an odd one because, 
you know, we saw him on the on the practice courts, you know, playing with Djokovic, um, you know, some you know top players and looking you know really good. But he's obviously must have had a, a change of heart. You know, I've been reading that he apparently still feels some discomfort uh you know with his body and you know maybe he's you know feels like okay i'm you know rather than sort of chance my arm uh you know at the clay season he feels like he needs to go all in uh on on the grass which you know which you know makes sense it is his best surface uh so to skip the french you know particularly when uh, you know the the fact that we've got grass court events in that second week of of Roland Garros it just makes it feels like it just makes sense and you know although you know in his prime you know we probably would have seen him maybe play you know play queens and then play wimbledon i think now you know the way you know he wants to come back i feel like there's more opportunities that we're going to see him play other you know lead up events you know potentially like nottingham uh you know before queens maybe um we just have to wait and see but uh yeah i think um it's a smart move it's a bit of a shame but uh, you know we're still not going to have to wait long uh, because of that overlap uh with, between the grass and clay yeah and, and it also won't be long before the olympics is is on us which is due to start on the 23rd of july uh, although there is still a bit of uncertainty over whether it's going to to happen uh a lot of the players have, have kind of been asked about it uh especially you know Osaka obviously being being Japanese she'd be making her debut in in Tokyo um obviously I'm sure we're all hoping that the the games do go ahead but I think some players have said that they're not sure if they would would go um you know because of I guess safety concerns I think Rafa was asked and he's he's not you know 100% sure or decided if, if he would be there um so it's yeah I think Nishikuri was also asked about it uh, Serena's not sure if she'll be going uh it just depends how it's going to be staged you know all the protocols and the, the regulations and you know with COVID um and whether it will happen at all um because you know it's a lot of play a lot of players a lot of sports people all descending on Tokyo uh, all at once you know is it safe is it going to happen um we wait and see but yeah it's few doubts being expressed yeah it's like i mean there's so much uncertainty at the moment i it doesn't sound like the japanese public are particularly keen on on hosting the olympics you know they're still under a sort of state of emergency in you know in japan and, and tokyo um so i have no you know surprise that you know some of the you know the top players top tennis players you know are coming out and saying you know i'm I, you know i'm not sure on my participation and even though it's a you know it's a great moment you know that people can look back on in uh, you know careers you know representing their country at the moment it's even that sort of pull is is not enough and it will be interesting to see if the olympics does go ahead what that main you know what the main draws are going to look like for the men and women because i don't think it's going to be as uh, a sure thing that you know players are going to participate and represent their country as you know say it was uh, you know 5 years ago yeah, I mean, I, I feel like with the Olympics, if, if Japan can't stage, you know, all of the activities, could they not, you know, do the tennis in one location, do other sports? Like, it's kind of make it a world Olympics where they just have mm. sports in different locations. You just want the tennis to be at Roland Garros so Nadal has another <laughs> chance to get a gold medal, don't you? Well, you know, the, the facilities there are fantastic <laughs> and I don't think they're using the stadium in, in you know, July. So why not? <laughs> um, or the London, you know, London would be a good shout. Yep, but um, yep. we, we will see. Remains to be seen. Um, and then, yeah, a last bit of news, Joel, as well, is concerning Diana Yastremska, who uh, we talked about this 
well, a few months ago now, she has been suspended from from the WTA tour because of um, this uh, illegal substance, misterolone, that was found in her her body. Um, she has been a well, she's appealed once, uh, which was was a, a failed appeal, and she's now going for a second appeal to the uh, sort of you know anti doping bodies. Um, but she's also now coming up with an, an, a new story as to explain why that substance was in her body, which is the fact that her ex-boyfriend um, p- apparently transmitted it to her through sex, essentially. And um, it's all coming out now that, you know, I mean, it's like, is this a valid defense or are they just clutching at straws or, you know, I really don't know what <laughs> I don't know what to think. <laughs> I love all these stories that come out with regards to tennis players and how these substances get in their bodies. You know, we've had, remember we were speaking about contaminated meats. I know, you know, Gasquet and his kiss in a nightclub. Yeah. In a nightclub. Yeah. I mean, there's all these stories. I mean, I feel like Yastrzemska, she must feel like she's got a case, uh, you know, to do all these appeals. Um, She's, I don't know if she's worried that this is going to be threatening her career. I mean, she must, you know, she must be, um, but she feel like she must feel like she has a case in terms of kind of getting this through, and maybe she's seen some of these crazy stories be accepted, uh, you know, in, in the past, and think, you know, if if I gave, you know, if I if I if I have a similar crazy story, you know, maybe it will get kind of bought as well. But at the moment, it's not. Um, so she's still, I think, suspended. Uh, we're sort of waiting, I think, for the 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 kind of the outcome. But you know, under a suspension, she cannot play, and her career. Her career has effectively stalled, which is a shame because she showed, you know, she has showed so much promise. And, um, you know, medical timeouts aside, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's just, ah, oh, it's just dragging. And let's get to the bottom of it and and move on um, for for all for all of our for all of our sakes. Yeah, I think um, I think she. I, I, this article that I I was reading um, has said that the, the court of arbitration for sport um, apparently, I think, did believe Sarah Irani when she said that uh, a, a drug was found due to some tortellini, um, mm. something to do with preparing tortellini, and then um, her mum had been using this drug, and it was sort of got into the tortellini that she ate um in the kitchen i don't know but yes like you said there's all (laughs) sorts of um potential stories and i can't comment on whether it's true or not um but it is quite um you know the interesting that the more that these kind of come up and how inventive perhaps they they may be i don't know um it's uh yeah interesting but uh yeah we'll see how that how that goes and um yeah whether she'll be back on the tour anytime soon uh, but let's just quickly look ahead to next week's activities uh, in the world of tennis. So we've got the Geneva Open, which Roger Federer is is playing. He's the top seed there. Uh, so is Kasper Ruud, though, who's obviously having a very good clay court season. And then we've got Shapovalov as well and uh, Grigor Dimitrov. So, yeah, this is just Federer's second appearance of the year. So, you know, we really haven't seen an awful lot of him, have we, this, this whole season. So it's quite exciting that he's actually on court again <laughs> it's got quite a tricky half i think he's i definitely feel like he's got the the trickier half of the two uh he could play jordan thompson or pablo Andujar in round two but i mean beyond that he could face christian garin who's had a pretty pretty handy clay court season so far he could face casper rude 
also had a pretty handy clay court season so far. And he could face Denis Shapovalov in the, in the final, who, you know, we saw have a really good, uh, have a really good sort of match against, uh, Nadal. So, you know, I don't think it's, you know, I mean, what are your, what are your expectations there? Do you think Federer, are we expecting Federer to be Geneva champion by the end of the week or, you know, what, what are you, what, what are you thinking? It's difficult. I, I'm sure semi-finals at least. Um, but I don't know. I feel Casper Rude might, I mean, he might come a cropper against Casper Rude. Yeah. Or um, Salvatore Caruso. Or Salvatore Caruso. <laughs> yeah, my fave. Uh, uh, or Christian Garin in the quarterfinals, actually, mm, to be fair. Yeah. So I mean, that is a very, very yeah, tricky. It's um, all Fernando Vadasco, you know, just... Just got got to say his name as we do every episode, um, but we'll see. We've also got Leon happening, where Dominic Team is the top seed. He got a wild card into that event. Um, his mate Schwartzman is is also there. David Goffin and Sitzbass again, who has got a wild card into this event. So again, not so sure about this one. I would expect Sitzbass to to win this if he's you know feeling fit and fresh still. Um, Dominic Team, you know, Yannick Sitter's in there. Uh, Sino Karatsa first round for that one. That's uh, I know, tasty. very tasty. Yeah, uh, oh, could this be Team's title? I'm I'm thinking Dominic Team. Uh, I'm thinking Dominic Team might win this. I feel like Sispas might be a bit knackered. I'm actually a little bit surprised he took a wild card to be honest. He's played so much tennis recently. Um, but um, yeah, I've, I think Team's look quite good on his return. But yeah, definitely definitely looking out for that. Um, definitely looking out for Aslan Karatsev uh, versus Yannick Sinner in round one. I mean, that's a that's a great tie. Yeah, and uh, bon- Benjamin Bonzi is in action. How is how is Karatsev not how is Karatsev not seeded? I don't understand. I don't, I don't know. I don't He's understand. Still not seeded. I know it's a bit, <laughs> a bit crazy. Um, and then on the WTA side, we've got the 250 event in Belgrade. Um, so Anastasia Pavlichenkova is the top seed for that one. But you've also got Paola Bedosa, who had a great week in Madrid recently. Uh, Putinsva's there, Podoroska, um, and also Mlazenovic. So, yeah. That could be anyone's title, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> um, but we've also got the 250 event in Parma in Italy, the Emilia Romagna Open, where Serena Williams is the top seed. Uh, Petra Martic is also there, who obviously got to the semis in Rome, so in good form. Uh, also got Coco Goff, um, Sara Sarimis Tormo. A lot of, Americans. A lot of yep. Americans in Parma. Williams, Venus Williams is there. Uh, Coco Goff, Christina McHale, I think... Bernarda Perra is there as well. So a lot of Americans. I wonder if we'll end up with an American champion. For some reason, I've got a sneaking suspicion Sara Cerebez Tormo might get to the final and, and then maybe Miller lose. Georgie. And then maybe <laughs> lose. Oh, that would be great. Um, no, uh, yeah, I've, I have a feeling Sara Cerebez Tormo might do quite well. And yeah, we'll see. I'd love to see a Serena Williams Coco Goff semi final, which potentially could be on the cards as well. Watch out for Victoria Golubic because she's in good form this season and she might throw a spanner in the works. But there we go. That's my uh, my pick for the week. <laughs> uh, I think that brings us to a close for this week, Joel. Um, and yeah, next we'll be back with another catch up at the end of the week. Although I, I will not be joining for that one. I'm otherwise occupied. I'm so, so sad. Go without me next week, I have to say. I do apologise yes. in advance. <laughs> yes, kit listeners. Listeners, Kim will be on holiday next week, but we will be back 
with a catch-up. So you're probably wondering who's going to be joining me in the hot seat uh, for our catch-up next uh, next week. And it's going to be Lee. It's going to be the Joel and Lee show. Lee at Tennis on Telly, one of our stalwarts followers uh, of the podcast, is going to join me uh, for our catch-up. So I hope you can join us for that one uh, remember if you want to stay up to date on all things in the tennis world make sure to subscribe to the passing shot we are on apple Podcasts, spotify overcast Castbox, stitcher wherever you listen to your podcasts make sure to subscribe to us and if you have been enjoying listening to the show and you want to help the show out uh, listening to us on apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment and you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do uh, give us a follow, give us a like if you don't already. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, um, you can also send us an email, PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And just a couple more announcements, uh, some exciting uh, announcements, actually. Um, so you may have seen earlier in the week, uh, we put an announcement out that we are going to be in partnership with the Tennis Live Scores app uh, going forward. Um, we're going to be kicking that off uh, at the, the with our French Open round by round coverage. But before then, we will be recording with the Tennis Live Scores app founder, Lewis tomorrow night uh, as part of our passing shot meet series so if you have any questions for lewis with regards to the app or you want to know about his sort of uh, background in tennis uh, let us know before tomorrow monday uh, evening uk time uh, to get your questions into us uh, we are also going to be recording another passing shot meets episode uh, next friday and we are excited again to welcome Alexandra Willis uh, onto the show. She is the current head of communications and soon to be communications and marketing director at the All England Lawn Tennis Club. Uh, so we're going to be chatting all things Wimbledon with her uh, next Friday evening UK time. So again, if you have any questions for Alexandra, uh, let us let us know on uh, Twitter or email us, uh, and we can uh, we can ask her directly. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to be t- talking talking about Wimbledon yes definitely two exciting guests in the works for the passing shot and um well uh you'll be with Joel and Lee next week until then we hope uh, you all have a fantastic week and enjoy watching a bit of Roger Federer uh, out in Geneva as well as everyone else on the tour um hope you can join us and we'll see you again soon Kim, I don't know if you saw on social media this week. It looks like, I mean, whisper it quietly, Aga Radvanska is potentially making a comeback to the tour. I think she might be a little bit jealous of Iga Świątek's, uh assuming her role at the top of Polish tennis. Well, Świątek's, you know, just opened her bakery, hasn't she? So she wants... <laughs> She wants a slice of the action, I think, Radvanska. So, yeah, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps she's coming back. That would certainly be quite cool, I have to say. <laughs>